Hey, I want to welcome you to uh, Alliance Christian Fellowship. Uh, if, uh, if this is your first time with us, a special welcome to you. In fact, all our first-timers, whether you're new to Penn State or new to our church here at ACF, would you just go ahead and throw a hand up real quick? We'd like to acknowledge you and, and welcome you. Church family, can we welcome our new friends here? Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. We're so glad you're here. Hey, I don't know how you found us, but I'm sure glad you did. Uh, I was super bummed to hear that involvement fair got pushed back a day later, but uh, uh, here we are. We've got a, a full house, and I'm glad to see you all here today. Um, if we have not had the chance to meet yet, um, my name is Dan Minn, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and uh, it is my joy to, to be worshiping with you and to be bringing God's word here to you. You're going to have to bear with me. Um, I've been laid out for the last four days or so with a uh, with a. I don't know what it was. Uh, it, I don't know what it is. I'm still fighting it off, and so I'm going to try to keep my distance from you and uh, not uh, prematurely bring the Penn State plague into your life, and we're going to try to keep you safe and healthy uh, this fall semester. But um, uh, please uh, forgive me if, um, if uh, I'm a little down and uh, low energy here today, but uh, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Um, if, uh, if you don't know this already, um, because you're new to our church family or you're new to, to ACF, um, Alliance Christian Fellowship is a church on campus. We, we meet here right in the hub every Sunday at 10.30 a.m., and uh, we, are, we are a church specifically geared towards students. Uh, if you look around, you'll see people who look like you, who, who are at the sta same stage of life, same age uh, demographic as you. We are a college church in the truest sense. Uh, but even more so than that, what makes our church unique is that we are entirely student-led. Now, our, all of our worship team, our students, our, our greeters, our, our volunteers, our, our media team, we've got a, a team of, uh, a, a small army of students who come in early in the morning to set up, who stay late after service to tear down, because the hub don't like having this stuff up here throughout the week, and so we've got to set up and tear down, and, and we are entirely student-run, we are entirely student-led, minus a few handful of us old farts who are just kind of hanging around trying to be cool like you young folks. You know, I'm along with myself and my wife, and we got our faculty advisors, of course. In fact, let me introduce them real quickly to you. Back there, Phil and Elaine Savage. If you guys don't mind just standing up, that's our faculty advisor. Phil, Phil is the, uh, the, the head of the chemical engineering department, and so for all of you chemical engineers, if you attend ACF, I don't know, he might curve your grade. I'm just saying, I, I don't know. No, he's saying no, 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 that's not, that's not true. And I'm kidding, that's not true at all. But, um, so, so aside from a handful of, of us uh, sort of adults, you, this is a college church, uh, which is really exciting. In fact, we have, we have people calling in all over the nation asking about what's your ministry model? What's, how do you run a college church? And all, how, does a, how does a church run on, on the shoulders of college students? And, and I say, I, I don't know. They're just really good. You know, they're, they're quality, quality students uh, that we have here at Penn State. And so um, that's a little bit more about us. In fact, we're going to have a newcomer's lunch early in the semester where you'll get to hear a little bit more about our DNA. That's kind of a quick snapshot, what I just gave you, but you'll have an opportunity to hear a little bit more about us and meet some of our student leaders and answer any questions you might have. And so stay tuned for that. But for now, for today, I'm glad you found us. I'm glad you made it out to church here this morning. 
I've titled my message today, The Prelude. The Prelude, or if you prefer, The Prelude. But I, I'm going to say The Prelude because, you know, I'm normal, and that's just weird. I, I don't know who, who says that. But, um, but listen, what, however you might pronounce it, I don't know about you, but when I say the word prelude, Maybe your mind goes to that sliver of section in the book that you all skip over, right? Like, you're like, I don't need to read that. I'm just chapter one. You're like, I don't, that's nonsense, and that's all, you know, extra pages that, that is unnecessary. Maybe your mind goes to that. Maybe you're, you're coming off of a wedding season over the last summer months. In fact, here, just in ACF, we had four ACF couples get married over the course of these last summer months. And, and, and when you go to a wedding, what's... What's the first thing you hear? The prelude, right? The prelude music, also known as the time to catch up with your friends while someone provides some pretty background music, right? Because let's face it, no one's actually listening to the music during the prelude. It's pretty, it's nice, but no one's really paying attention. It's sort of in the background. Preludes often seem unimportant. Now, how many of you know you're all in a sort of a prelude right now? You all just got done with the first week of classes. You got done with syllabus week. The semester has just begun. And, and I bet right about now you're feeling pretty good, right? You feel pretty good. I mean, I mean they're, they're, you're not feeling the pressures of the assignments on the horizon. There's no paper to worry about, no assignments looming over your head. Some of you are like, no, I, Dan, I, just got, I got work to do, man. I've, I've, I'm an engineering major, man. You don't know my schedule. I got work to do. God bless you. God be with you. And, and God forgive your instructions for their cruelty, but for the most of us, we're, we're like, you know what, I, this week's been good. My, my, this prelude season of my life is treating me good. You know how I know it's treating you good? Because you're all awake, and none of you have bags under your eyes. You're not staring at me with a glazed look, and so I know you're sitting pretty, but that will all change very soon. That will all change. Returning students, can I get an amen, right? That, that will change very soon, but friends, listen. Isn't that the whole point? You see, preludes often seem unimportant because there's no pressure. Because it doesn't feel like we hit the real stuff yet. You know, like the, like the assignments that actually make a difference on your grades or, or the part in the book that actually make a dif- makes a difference to the plot of the story or the part in the ceremony when the bridal party walks in. We all know that's when the ceremony begins when the pretty bridesmaids walk down awkwardly smiling, right? That, that's when the ceremony, that's when it, it, we don't feel like we hit the real stuff yet. And so oftentimes, preludes strike us as largely unimportant and, or altogether insignificant. But folks, did you know that for every season of your life, you have a prelude? For every season of your life, You have a prelude. For every season of your life, you have a preseason. And what you do in the preseason matters. Your preseason, the preludes of your life matter. In fact, it is almost as important, if not more important, than the actual season itself. Preludes matter. In fact, sports teams understand this. Every sports team has a season that they play in. But for every season that they play in, they have a preseason that they put work in. Right? You talk to any coach worth their money out there, they'll tell you how critical this preseason time is for game time. 
Preludes matter. The preseason matters. Now, as we kick off this brand new year, as we kick off this brand new academic year, I want to look at the prelude of Jesus' life, particularly the moments leading up to the start of his ministry. You see, before he preached a single message or before he performed any miracle, any signs and wonders, before he gathered any disciples together and assembled his team, we get a glimpse into the prelude of Jesus' life before his ministry begins. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. That's where we'll be spending our time here today. Hey, if you don't have a Bible here today, just go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have some folks coming around, and they can hook you up with a Bible here. If you don't personally own a copy of the Bible, consider this our gift to you. You can take it home. We want you to write your name in it, and, and, and we want you to own a Bible, as we believe that reading Scripture is how we come to know and obey God. And so if you are following along with us in these Bibles, we are on page 809. 809 is where we are. All right, so whatever device or, or actual Bible you might have, open up to Matthew chapter 4. We'll also have the text up here on the screen as well for you to follow along with us. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, but go ahead and open up to whatever version of the Bible you have and uh, follow along with us. We'll be in Matthew 4. Pick me up at verse 1, and then we'll carry it through to verse 11. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Friends, if I were to boil down this entire message this entire talk to a single point, to a single big idea, rooted and grounded in today's text in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, it would be this. How you set up often determines how you end up. How you set up often determines how you end up. And this is precisely why preludes matter, because how you set up often determines how you end up. Now, as, as all, of, all, all of you are, are peering into this next year of possibilities and opportunities, perhaps even f a few challenges and uncertainties, I, listen, I don't know how you're coming in uh, into this next year. I don't know what your summer was like. Maybe, maybe for you, you're coming in with great excitement and anticipation. 
Maybe for you, you're saying, Dan, this summer couldn't have ended quick enough. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was just so eager to get back on campus and, and plug back into my community here because back home, I just don't have that. And so maybe for you, you, you're coming in with great excitement and eagerness. Maybe this year, you're hoping things would turn around for you. Maybe you're thinking last year was just a, that, that was a wash. It was terrible. And I'm hoping this year would be far better much better than last year. This is going to be my turnaround year. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're coming in a little begrudgingly. <laughs> maybe you didn't want to come back. Maybe you didn't want summer to end. You, you, you wanted to stri- stride into endless summer months. And, and you're coming in and you're thinking to yourself, you know, yeah, I, you know what? I've been around this block before. You know, same old, nothing new. You know, it, it is what it is. Or maybe you're coming in with a little bit of anxiety. Maybe you're a new student here, a freshman, a transfer student, and you're like, how in the world am I going to make it in the sea of 40,000-plus students or so? Well, how, what is, what, how am I going to survive this? Uh, maybe for you, you're not a new student, but you're still coming in anxious. Maybe you're a senior, and you're coming in anxious because you feel like, man, I got no idea what I'm going to do after I graduate. And you feel like you've got this little limited window of time, this little window of opportunity called your senior year to try to figure it all out. And you're, so you're, you're coming in with some level of anxiety and stress. Listen, whatever state of mind you're in, I want to put some tools in your toolbox to help you set up well so that you end up well, so that by the time we get to May, you'll be able to look back on your year and you'll be able to say, you know what? It wasn't perfect, but you know what? I ended well. I ended well. And I promise you, you'll get there if you set up well. And so the question that I want to pose to you today is, how do we set up well? As we, as we start this, as we kick off a brand new year here at Penn State, how do we set up well so that we can say, I ended well when we come to May? How do we set up well? Well, I believe that the prelude of Jesus' life teaches us three things that are needed in our lives in order to set up well. And the first is this. We need spiritual sustenance. We need spiritual sustenance. You see, oftentimes, I think we tend to the things in the physical realm far quicker than we tend to the things in the spiritual realm. And would you know that this was a tactic of the devil? (laughs) Would you know that this was a tactic of the enemy? He comes to Jesus, and he offers Jesus physical food, real, actual, tangible food. And he says, hey, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. By the way, the enemy knew that Jesus was fasting for 40 days. He knew he was fasting for 40 nights. He knew that Jesus was hungry. Friends, you've got to understand that one of the tactics of the enemy, one of his most commonly go-to tactics, is to exploit our weaknesses. He loves to take advantage of of those moments when we are feeling weak and vulnerable in our faith, which is why... Which is precisely why we need a sustenance that runs deeper than the physical. We need a spiritual sustenance. If you, know, if you notice Jesus' response here, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about spiritual sustenance. And for him, his spiritual sustenance came from the word of God. Can you imagine, first of all, the the concept of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights is not even in the construct of my human brain. It's like I I, I get get 
angry when I haven't eaten for 40 minutes, let alone 40 days and 40 nights. And, and so, like, I can't even fathom that. And then on top of that, all he's feeding off of during these 40 days and 40 nights of fasting is the word of God, is Scripture. Jesus is saying here to the devil, devil, I don't need bread. <laughs> I've been sustained in this desert by something far greater, the word of God. And friends, hear me. When the word of God becomes your spiritual sustenance, the word becomes your primary fuel for your spiritual battles. When the word of God becomes your primary sustenance, it be, then becomes your primary fuel for your spiritual battles. Friends, I wonder... I'm not saying this is the case for all of us, but I wonder, could it be that some of us are experiencing spiritual defeat in our spiritual journeys because we're just spiritually malnourished? Is it, it, could, it, could it not just be this crazy, you know, chance of, you know, every, the world is against me and my life is just not going according to plan. God is not on my side. Could it be that you're experiencing some of these spiritual defeats in your journey, not because of that, but rather it's because you're spiritually malnourished? Folks, I wonder how different our lives would look if we ate up God's word the way we eat up our meals. Oftentimes, Nicole says, hey, hon, I feel like I miss your face. Because every time we sit down to eat, all I see is the top of your head. It's just like all you're doing is just about, you're, just, you're just scarfing down the food. And by the way, hon, you're going bald. Do you know that? And I'm like, babe, come on. I mean, I understand. My dad's bald. My grandfather's bald. You just got to face it. I'm going to be bald. It's, just, it's an early onset baldness. It happens, receding hairline and all. But I'm still beautiful here. I'll, I'll show you my face every once in a while. But we scarf down our meals. But friends, I wonder, listen, here's my point. I wonder how differently our lives will look if we ate up God's word the way we eat up our meals. I'm telling you right now, you hunger for God's word that way. The next time the enemy comes and tempts you, you'll be able to confidently say, devil, I don't need bread. I don't live by bread alone. But I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need spiritual sustenance. Now, along with spiritual sustenance, we see that a second element is needed to set up well, and that is total trust. Total trust. Not partial trust. Not trust when it's easy or convenient. Not trust when we feel comfortable trusting, but complete, total, abandoned trust. Now, if you look carefully at the second interaction between Jesus and the devil, he takes him up to the top of the temple building, and the temple building was anywhere from 100 to 150 feet tall. And he tells, he tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, jump off. <laughs> Truth or dare, right? Dare, jump off this temple building. But the real challenge here isn't whether or not Jesus would jump off. That's not the challenge. The challenge here is does Jesus trust the Father enough to catch him if he were to fall? That's the real challenge. Now, I think I know the answer to this, but how many of you are familiar with a trust fall? All right, you're familiar with the trust fall, right? Like it's this team building exercise where someone falls back into a group of people and, you know, whereby they're trusting them to, uh, to catch him or his or her fall when they fall back, hence trust fall. Now, most of the time that I've seen this, most of the time that I've participated in this, it's gone well. The mission was accomplished. Uh, the, the, the lesson was learned. The, the exercise was, was uh, executed well. 
However, there are times when the exercise doesn't go quite according to plan. In fact, I've got a short clip here I want to show you. If we could hit the lights and, and roll that video, take a look at this. Come on, Now listen, if you have ever done a trust fall, I hope your experience wasn't anything like that. That's terrible. I mean, that's, I, I just say get new friends at that point. If, if you know, they're, they're terrible friends if they can't catch your fall. But listen, this is essentially what the devil is coming to Jesus with, with this proposition. He, he says, hey Jesus, how about a little trust fall here? How about a little trust, the angels will catch you. God will send his legions of angels to catch your fall. Yeah, it's, this is high. We're at the top of the temple building, 100 and 150 feet high up in the air. But fall, angels will catch you. You trust God, don't you? To which Jesus responds by saying, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, the thought of testing the goodness and the faithfulness of the Father by jumping off of the top of, of the temple building wasn't even a thought in Jesus' mind. It wasn't even a thought in his paradigm of thinking because his relationship with the Father was so rooted in complete and total trust in his character. Listen, friends, God never needs to be tested if he is truly trusted. God will never need to be tested if he is truly trusted. And the problem for many of us is we have this picture in our minds that when we fall into the hands of God, when we allow our lives to fall into the hands of God, something like what we just saw on the screen will happen to our lives. Our lives will get turned upside down, we'll, we'll get injured somehow, that, that we'll come crashing down on the floor with a big thump, that we'll have a less than favorable outcome, that somehow, maybe some way, that God will miss us when we fall. But can I assure you of the character of God this morning? Our God is the God who promises to never leave our side. Our God is the God who promises us to always be with us till the very end of the age. Listen, he is a God who promises to finish the good work that which he started in you. 
He is the God who, who promises to love you and protect you and uphold you with his righteous right hand. He is the God who promises to be your fortress and your shelter in times of need. He is the God who promises to work out all things for your good, for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Friends, hear me when I say this. The character of God knows nothing else but to catch you when you fall. It is who he is. He knows nothing else but to catch you when you fall. And so I want to encourage you, if, 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 this, if this prelude of your season of your life is filled with this overture of trust in God, you will never find yourself needing to test him I think oftentimes we feel this need to test God or or to question God or to doubt God. And I'm not saying you can't do that. In fact, you look throughout scriptures, there are plenty of instances where people are are questioning and and, and doubting and all these things. They're wrestling with that. But if you notice, it, it is always caught in the tension of God. I'm experiencing this as my reality. But at the end of the day, I know you to be trustworthy. And so those two things are not mutually exclusive. Oftentimes, they work hand in hand together. And so when you trust God, you will never find yourself needing to test God. And so when the enemy comes to knock you down or to pull you back at any point in this semester or this year, and he tries to present you with this absurd proposal, hey, won't you consider jumping off of the top of Eisenhower Auditorium? You can say, listen, I don't need to test God because I fully trust God. I don't need to test him. If you want to set up well, to end up well, you need to start from this basis of total and complete trust. You need spiritual sustenance. You need total trust. But we come to this third and final piece in order to set up well, and that is proper priorities. You need spiritual sustenance. You need to put your total trust in the hands of your loving Father. But number three, you and I need proper priorities. How many of you know that's what worship is at the end of the day? Worship is properly prioritizing your life around the object of your worship. That's what worship is. Worship is more than singing. Worship is more than just the gathering. Worship is more than just, you know, the time before the sermon. Worship is is about properly prioritizing your life around the object of your worship. And the devil, for his last attempt, this pesky, persistent devil, would try to get Jesus to bow down and worship before him. To which Jesus responds by saying, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him him only shall you serve. By the way, just a quick pause here. Did you notice that for every response that Jesus gives to the devil, he's actually quoting from Scripture, the first go-around. Man shall not live by bread alone comes from Deuteronomy 8, 3, right? You know, the the, the second go-around when he tells him to jump off the top of the building, You shall now put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16. And this last interaction with the devil, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God only. Him only shall you serve. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6.13. This is further proof that when the word of God becomes our spiritual sustenance, it becomes your primary fuel for your spiritual battles. And I promise you, nothing can stand against the living word of God. No tactic of the enemy, no work of the devil, 
No ploy, no temptation of the evil one can stand against the word of God. And so you got to understand how important it is that we build our lives, not on our respective ministries. I know that we have a lot of ministries represented here in this room. You're all part of different campus ministries. You cannot build your faith on your campus ministry. Your campus ministry will not sustain your faith. Your community, how great ever your community might be, how great your friend group might be, it cannot be what sustains your faith in Christ. It needs to be founded and grounded in the living word of God and in God's word alone. Now, community is a part of that. Your campus ministry is a part of that. How we do life together in this, on this campus is all a part of that, but it needs to be founded on God's word And so it becomes your primary fuel for your spiritual battles. Also, does anyone else find it interesting that that Jesus seems to put his foot down at this last temptation? you got to understand, Jesus has all the power in the world, all the power in the universe to expel the devil from his presence at any point. He, he could have done that when, when, you know, the whole turning the rocks into bread deal. Like, why, Jesus, why didn't you, why didn't you say be gone, saying at that point? Why here? Why now? You see, I think it's because the devil was touching on something that is very near and dear to the heart of the Father, and that's worship. What you and I worship matters. Who you and I worship matters. In fact, the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses and the people of Israel was, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God wants us to prioritize, properly prioritize our lives around him. A couple of years ago, we had a a retreat speaker come and speak to our students at at one of our ACF retreats. And uh, he was a pastor friend of mine back from New York. And uh, he and I got, to ch- uh, got a chance to, to meet when I was, when I was ministering at a, at a church in, in New York. And uh, we, we struck up a friendship. And, and, and uh, he, he's a church planter and, and, uh, in the Westchester County, New York area. In fact, his church is one of the fastest growing churches in the region. Lots of exciting stuff. God's blessing the ministry there. Every, you know, it seems like every week they're baptizing someone new. Every week they're, they're you know, experiencing salvations across the, across the entire room. Lots of gut, cool gut king them building stuff happening there. Anyway, for, for um, this retreat, I invited him to come and speak to our students. And for one of the sections, uh, sessions, he was talking about time management. Time management. And, and as you might imagine, he had the attention of everyone in the room as every college student seems to be on this quest to master time management. Right? Like, you ask any, the average college student, what, what's one area that you need to work on? Oh, it's time management, without a doubt. It's, it's time management. You know, because you're trying to juggle your schoolwork, your social life, your ministry responsibilities, all the while you're trying to, you know, squeeze in the essentials, right? Like sleep, food, bathroom bakes, Fortnite, Netflix, you know, like all these things. You're trying to squeeze in the essentials of life, right? Like, and so, listen, we're, we're all trying to be better time managers. I get that, right? And, and so he's talking to a room full of college students, and some of you were there. You might remember this. My pastor friend gets up into this room full of college students. He says to them, quit trying to manage your time. <laughs> to which I looked around the room. I'm like, I wonder how people are taking it. People, students are like, wait, I thought that's why I'm in college. 
because I'm learning how to try to manage my time so that I'm not completely wrecked when I get out into the real world. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to manage my time here. What are you talking about? And he goes on and he says, when you're trying to manage your time, you're actually wasting your time. That's the wrong battle to be fighting. Instead of managing your time, try to manage your values. Because what you value will be what your time goes to. I mean, that's like, ah, that's so good. That's so good. You ever hear something and you're like, man, I got to write that down. That is just too good. In fact, just a funny side story. Uh, one, of my, one of my leaders, uh, a couple of years back, he, he opened up his, his journal and he's sharing something with me. God's speaking to me. He's ministering to him and he's, he's quoting me this quote and he's like, you know, um, God's teaching me this through, 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 this, uh, through this little nugget of wisdom. And I said, oh, that's a good quote, man. Oh, who said that? He said, that was you. That was you. That was, that was a, couple of, a couple of years back that you said this. I was like, that's good. I'm taking pictures. I'm taking notes, taking notes of my, the notes that he took of the sermon that I preached from my notes. It was a real sermon note-taking inception moment. I, I'm like, this is, that's, that's good. So, so I, I, I remember thinking to myself, man, I got to take note of that. What you value will be what your time goes to. So stop trying to manage your time. Your time will manage itself when you learn to manage your values. And so when you think about that, when you think about this coming year, you might want to take a moment and take inventory of your life, of your, of your, of your journey as a, as a Penn State student, as a follower of Jesus, all encompassing. What do I value? What are the things that I want to lay out in, and, and it's not going to be this 20-item list, 20-bullet-pointed list. Some of you detail-oriented freaks want to lay out this whole 20-step plan. This is, uh, these are all the things I value, Dan. Now, I'm not talking about, listen, you lay out a 20-bullet-point document, you ain't gonna, you're not going to do yourself any good. And so lay out a handful of things. What are the things that I am going to truly value and build my life around? Proper priorities. So in managing your values, can I encourage you? This year, prioritize the things that would add fuel to your worship of God. Prioritize the things that would add fuel to your worship of God. Prioritize the things that helps you adore, fall in love with Jesus. And if there are things in your lives that are not in line with that, consider discarding some of those things. Well, in, in thinking about this, I want to encourage you, prioritize the things of God's kingdom and that would bring kingdom value into your life. Prioritize the things that would add to your walk with Jesus, that would add to your intimacy with Christ, that would help you become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus. Friends, you and I need proper priorities. Preludes matter. Preludes matter. They matter greatly. Now listen, I'm not saying that you've got to read every prelude of every book you read. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the point of this message. I'm not saying that you need to listen intently to the prelude music before ed every wedding ceremony so that when friends are trying to talk to you, you're like, shh, shh. I'm listening to the prelude. <laughs> you know, like, no, I'm not, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. That's, that's not the point of this. What I am saying is, if how you set up determines how you end up, you need to be paying closer attention to how you set up. And based on the prelude of Jesus here in this passage, there are three essential things that are needed to set up well 
And three things that I love for us to consider as at the start of this new year together, three things that I'd like you to consider, your spiritual sustenance, your level of trust in the Father, and your, where your proper priorities are laid out. Where are your priorities? If you have these under your belt, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, no matter what this year throws your way, no matter what uncertainties pop up throughout the course of this year, I promise you, you'll be able to get to the end of May and say, you know what? I ended well. I ended well. Why? Because I put in the work to set up well. Amen, church?